0: Hi, I'm Gary Knoll. This will be an an opportunity for everyone watching, both in our anti-aging support groups here, and that's what we're doing, we're helping people go on a journey. A journey that I hope will be one that will allow them to understand how their body functions in health and disease and how to prevent conditions, especially conditions we assume are normal for the aging process, but in my research, my belief in my clinical practices over decades and as a research fellow in anti-aging medicine at the Institute of Biology, I headed the department doing over 120 studies plus 44 clinical studies I don't believe that any of the conditions we say are normal parts of aging Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, ALS, diabetes, high blood pressure, are any form of fibromyalgia, digestive difficulties, I don't believe any of those are normal aging processes. I do believe that those are all part of normal aging based upon how society eats, drinks, exercises or not, how they believe, how they deal with stress. Those will then cause these conditions and because the older you get, the more of these you've accumulated, or the worse they are, and the more debilitating they become to our body, then we say, ah, so many people are sick, and so many people have memory loss, it must be normal to the aging process. I don't believe they are right, I believe they're wrong. And I believe because they're wrong, we're looking at the wrong way of approaching it. Hence, this study. This is a confirmatory study. The first study was done six months ago. And we had very rigorous protocols. Everyone had to do the same thing every day, same lectures, same juicing, same um, food, which was a single major meal and a smaller meal, and juicing throughout the whole day. Reading, um, dealing with our emotions, because some people came with depression and anxiety disorders. And the results were remarkable for those who followed the protocol. Not just showed up and took some supplements, anybody can do that, and that won't mean a whole lot. But for those who did everything, and some of those people in this room, they had some absolutely life-changing experiences. And the biochemistry, the blood work-ups, all of the all of the measurements we did at the beginning of the study, and those didn't come from me, those came from outstanding scientists in the field, MD, PhDs, who said this is what we want you to do for the people, we want to see these biological markers and we did that. As a result we had before and after blood, we had before and after the Hamilton depression scale, exercises timed and counted, and uh, wow. So they said great, do it again, we're doing it again and with the same number of people, same protocols, but more emphasis this time on quiet time, nature time, journaling, and conversations about what we can learn about life. What I'd like to share with you now, all of you, is how do we get the conditions we think are about aging How do these happen? What is the progenitor? Why if you have two people, both 55, one could be looking 35 and the other could look 75? How does that happen? And if we are older, uh, let's say we're 60 and above, is there anything we can do to slow down this aging process or even reverse it? What can we do to help repair our DNA that has been damaged and change the outcome, live a longer and healthier life, add quality years onto our life. So I'm going to give you some overall points. I won't go into all the specifics, but we have put together a phenomenal amount of peer-reviewed literature to support every single thing that I'm saying. First, let's just say for an oversimplification that we could, in part, use a mathematical model to determine how long you're going to live. How's that possible? Well, we now have an average lifespan in the United States, as every country does. Like, Spain has a long, long lifespan. Japan has the longest, but there are smaller countries, or places where people live, like in the Himalayas, some mountain areas in the Andes, on the island Crete, there are smaller groups around the world that are living longer lives than even the Japanese, but the Japanese have something unique. They're not only living longer lives; they're healthier. And there are places in this world where people live longer lives, and they have none of the diseases that we think are normal. Well, if all these, all the, the diseases were for, for normal for the aging process, then everybody universally would suffer the same disease, right? If everybody in America has high blood pressure and diabetes and overweight at the age of 70, then everyone in the world should be the same. But it's not that way. We think all just, you know, keep your weight down. But there are people out in this world who never go to a gym, smoke, don't take a vitamin, and they're living longer lives. How's that happen? So these are the issues I'm going to address. But first, I'm going to give you a simple formula that hopefully will at least be a over general guideline. These are guidelines only. When I became a junior scientist, when I was young and naive, according to the uh, uh, one of the people who wrote me a letter recently, who was at the Institute of Pi Biology when I joined there in 1970, she says you were a young, naive, but innocent person who really wanted to learn, and you came into an environment where there were all these very orthodox scientists, and they were all overweight, they drank, they smoked, Brilliant minds, terrible bodies, because they didn't believe that health could be changed. So they never changed anything. If they ate bacon, eggs, if they ate pork chops, if they ate, you know, pieces, that was considered normal. If if I su- suggest that what they were eating could cause their arthritis or macular degeneration, they would have said that's nonsense. In fact, they said that. In fact, two of the scientists who I'd never spoken with came up to me one day and said, you realize this is all nonsense? Uh, and I said, what? Well, that, that arthritis can be impacted by what you eat or drink, and that's just stupid. I never talked to you about this. Why are you? Well, because we heard that you were making such a statement on a radio program. I said, that is correct. I debated a top rheumatologist, and he said, and it was in their official publications, And their foundation said there is no connection between diet and arthritis, either in causation or in, in reversal. Of it. So it didn't matter what you ate, it wouldn't impact arthritis. It wouldn't prevent it, it wouldn't treat it. Today, there are thousands of studies in the peer-reviewed literature showing just the opposite. That what you eat will cause inflammation and will manifest in the joints, And yes, arthritis can be turned on or off by what you eat and drink. So, that means that all of the smartest people in America who were rheumatologists and professors and all their literature and all their propaganda were wrong. They were wrong. Now, I get no pleasure in being right on any of these things, but at some point, shouldn't you take a look at a long career of being right about everything involving health, and they've been wrong about everything on health. And they've got the people supporting, the media supporting the wrong position. They support the orthodox position. They never, ever, ever support anything that's alternative because, ooh, that's kind of like, that's kryptonite. It's not sanctioned. So you only report sanctioned information? Well, so I went around the world, or as many places I could go, and I want to figure out why are you not developing the same heart disease and cancers and diabetes living in the jungles of South America. It's amazing when you see a 75-year-old man who has the body of a 20-year-old athlete climb up a coconut tree to get us some coconuts with no belt to hoist up, no cleats and just climbed up the damn thing, threw down the coconuts and climbed back down. And I said, how old is he? He said, Seventy-four. Whoa! How did that happen? We don't have anyone in America. Seventy-four could do that. They'd get about three steps up the... and they'd have a heart attack. They'd die on the tree. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting a real awakening. I saw things where people would drink juices and use herbs in their teas and their soups and salads. And I ask a woman, I said, what is that Oh, with everything I make, every single dish, I put in healing herbs. Why? Because this way you help prevent the diseases. Okay, well that's reasonable, right? Prevention? But no one in America used any herb to prevent any disease. They intentionally, as a whole culture, used herbs. In Asia, for example, in India, through Ayurvedic medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, Japanese medicine, Korean medicine, Philippine medicine, Indonesian medicine, in the mountains of Italy, I saw this. I saw barns that had hundreds of herbs hanging, drying, that they would use. One person was very knowledgeable, and that became the keeper of the apothecary. Now, in my parents' generation, the last generation to really be close to nature, and their parents, were in rural and agricultural America, oh yeah, they had a lot of things they did. The foods they grew, knowing their value, and we've lost that today. But the takeaway message was this. When I went into the Italian Alps, or in, into France, and the country, and, and Spain, and Ireland, and Scotland, and England, and, and South America, and Barbados, and Trinidad, and Venezuela, in Brazil, all the places. I found one common denominator. And I spent about a month every day in my office in the laboratory at the Institute of Applied Biology, pondering, how could I share this with people where they would actually accept it? Because it had nothing to do with any peer-reviewed literature. There was nothing on that in the literature. And here's what I found. That if you had a perfect diet, I mean perfection. On a scale of 1 to 100, it was about 15. If you exercise vigorously into your body's needs, combining both endurance and aerobic exercise, resistance exercise, and some strenuous exercise, intense exercise, about 15. If you sought ways of de-stressing from the normal stresses of life, and you were able to do mindful meditation or prayer, reading, uh, walking in nature, yoga, biofeedback, that would represent about 15. And that meant that the things that we think and give total credit to for determining our health represented a maximum, even adding in supplementation, of about close to 50%. 45, and then you've got your supplements in there, which is about 5%. So, you're dealing with 50%, but here's what I understood, and this was only from seeing people and working with people. As important as all that is together, the people in other countries, they didn't have any systematic exercise program, they didn't take any supplements, a lot of them smoked, their diets weren't perfect, some were heavy in meat, some were heavy in vegetables. Even in the Mediterranean, with the Mediterranean diet, it's a spectrum, you know. It can go from low meat, right, a higher amounts of fish, some chicken, but then lots of vegetables and grains, nuts and seeds. So it depends upon how much of that are you using healthy foods and how much are not healthy foods. And then you look at the way we eat all the sugars, and the refined carbohydrates, and the animal proteins, the french fries, hot dogs, hamburgers, pizzas. We think, well, these are normal, everybody eats them, but these are all causing the aging process to be speeded up. When you cook something at a high temperature so it turns brown, french fry, pizza crust, bagel, potato chip, there's a chemical that is released called acrylamides. And those acrylamides are very pro-inflammatory. And inflammation speeds up the creation of all forms of biological markers in the body such as cytokines and tumor necrosis factor alpha. And all this leads to more free radicals. Now free radicals, when you got a lot of them, they attack the cells and they prematurely damage the cells and age the cells. When you're younger, cells can reproduce, cells can repair. The older you get, the cells are less able to repair themselves and they begin to die. You hit senescence, but not at the normal age. They're hitting their death age at sometimes half of what they should. So when you say, well, I'm 50 years old, it depends upon what you've done, whether you're really 50, biologically, or whether you're 100, or whether you're 30. So it's, it's wrong to say you're one age. We are no one on the planet is one age. Because each of our biochemists is different. So what I was finding around the world is some of them didn't even have the best diet in the world. I wouldn't recommend some of their diets in some of these places. But they all had something that we did not have in the newer generations. The older generations did. We didn't. The concept of the central meaning of a person's life. What was the purpose of your life? What was its meaning? And in that question, we're, what, is, what is the meaning and purpose by yourself, or does it include your family and friends, the job or career you're at, the place where you live, and the quality of that environment? What you do with your time and hobbies, how do you approach time? How do you approach the aging process, the death process? Do you have transitions? Do you have people to help you in those transitions? Do you have, do you have elders that are respected for their, their wisdom gained throughout a lifetime? That when there's a problem, or there's a crisis, or there's a question, there's someone there to help them. Yeah, everywhere I went. I remember being in Jamaica, and it was a Sunday, and I I was told, if you really want to know why people live a longer life in Jamaica, even though many times there's deprivations of things, they don't have a lot, poor, go into these towns. So between Ocho Rios and Negril, uh, I would spend time on Sundays. And the first thing you see is a family coming out, dressed up, and going to church. And so I would talk with people, and the people of Jamaica, like so many of the people of the islands, they're wonderful human beings. There's no pretense, there's no ego. And I would talk with all ages, and especially the mothers, because the mothers control the family. They're the providers of the insight, the education, and the knowledge needed. And they take great pride in that. And no one really is alone. Everybody is friends with someone else. It's a real community where if you know someone's got a problem, you help them. As one woman said, we don't have to be asked. We know each other. You know, so you're having your own life, yes, but you're also living in a group. So there's a group dynamic. So they come together and share. And then one of the people said, spend a day with me and I'll show you Jamaica that is not on any of the tourist maps. Okay. He took me through the Blue Mountains, interesting, and then he took me into the Plain area. That's between the two sides of Jamaica and the site, that's their agriculture area. And I found it interesting, because I was at the top of the hill looking for miles, and all you see is like little boxes, and those boxes represented farms, not big farms, small farms. But what what it was is that whatever you grew, It was generally at a very reasonable price. It was fresh and wherever possible it was organic because they didn't want to spray because they knew the harm of sprays. And so they shared. So you'd go to a a market and you'd have an enormous abundance of inexpensive food to eat. So as the woman said, we may be poor but we're not hungry. And behind everyone's house there were soursop trees and charamoya trees and watermelon growing. And not the big watermelon we're used to, but smaller watermelons, but all kinds of fruits and vegetables, and root vegetables, and yucca, and plantain, and breadfruits. And they had great dishes, terrific tastes. The Caribbean has one of the greatest cuisines imaginable. So then you begin to understand that with the dissolving of the American family, where everyone was on their own, and you no longer had the intimate contact with people to be able to share your, your, your concerns and get feedback from people, from grandfathers, grandmothers, aunts and uncles. You know, you were maybe talking with a friend, but what if that friend didn't have that world knowledge? But this is what they had. So everywhere I went, I found that they had a strong belief. More often than not, there were people of of a religious belief, different ones around the world, but their faith was important to them. They took it seriously. Especially the parts of faith faith which, even if you're agnostic or atheist, you would have to respect. You know, Love one another, the golden rule, right? Uh, share a common morality. And everywhere I went they had that. And that's why a woman said, for example, in a town in And I'll tell you how wonderful this town was. Um, I had my brother and some Italian friends of mine, including a physician who are from Italy and spoke uh, fluent Italian. I was in my running outfit, and I'd just be running, because I thought, why not get my marathon training in while we're in the Alps, because they had all these little hamlets, like six to ten houses that had been there forever, and uh, around this winding road. So you might go 40 miles and come to you know, ten of these places. And you could smell them in the morning before you got there, because they were baking fresh bread. Mm -hmm. And they would put the bread out uh, from their brick ovens, and they would start their kindling in there, and then after it got really hot, then they would sweep it out, and then put their dough in, close the door, and it heated the house, but it also got these great breads, whole whole grain breads, stone ground. I, I watched them Grind those, and you get the whole grit. You get the whole germ. It was delicious. But the first one we came to, a woman was saying, what's he, you know, what, what's, what's he running about? And they said, oh, he's going to train for the New York City Marathon. And she's come here. So she brought over, and she got some fresh-baked bread, and she got some cheese, and she poured the olive oil on the bread, and there were some seasonings she read in the bread, and she handed it to us. We're total strangers, by the way opened her heart to give us something. I thought that really impressed me. And then in another place we negotiated that I would do some work I wanted to, to see how they work. Because I'm looking around at the guys and these are the oldest men were around 90, somewhere 80, but they had legs like this, huge legs, because they were out there all day long. They'd have this apron on and they'd walk up these hills, no flat land, this was all in the mountains farmland that no one in America would ever farm, unless you put ginseng. It grows in the shade on the side of hills. But these people had long rows of beans and every kind of vegetable, and they just walk up there like this, put picking and put it in their pocket. And then a the kid would come and take that and they'd give them another apron. It was wonderful to see this, to see people. And then they'd take a three-hour break for their meal. They took their time. There was laughter. There was conversations, each generation shared this long table, a table as long as this room, and to watch the love shared in their eyes between each other. So when the woman said about crime she's we don't have any crime. Nobody locks their doors here because we all love and respect each other, because we all love and respect life and the gift we've been given. That stuck in my mind. So there I am back in New York, I'm on the Upper East Side in my office at the Institute, and I'm thinking, okay, how are people going to accept that you can live much longer and much healthier if you're happy? And happiness comes from a state of consciousness that you can respect what you have instead of being angry about what you don't have. Appreciating your, your moment instead of what you've lost. Americans have mastered the art of being victims of what they've lost. And we hold on to any kind of emotional pain, and then we mourn that loss. Not realizing that once you mourn a loss, you have no energy to put into loving what you have. Because that's duality. And whatever the dominant energy in, it collapses everything else under it. So if your dominant energy is anger or control, if your dominant energy is deceit or manipulation, then you're going to be lying about everything, and now you've got to defend every lie, and you've got to remember what you lied about. So in every conversation, you're never open and honest because you're, you're afraid that maybe you might say something that's the truth that will show them that you were lying. You know, it's like so many people are, are living a lie. They don't. Whatever they feel, they talk about it but I found joy and happiness no matter what a person's class standing, and they were fully aware of class. They were aware of the people who lived different lives because they could afford different things, but it didn't deprive them of being happy with what they had. That impressed me. So here's a very important lesson. I do not believe you can be healthy if you're not happy. You can be fit, but that's not health. That's only one piece. And we know how many people go to gyms at night. In fact, what I saw is when the, these big power gyms began to open up all over Manhattan. Used to go, you'd go to why these private gyms didn't exist. <clears throat> but up on Broadway, where I lived at the time, there were two gyms. And they were both on the second story. And at night, I would walk from my office. Uh, my main office, which is 83rd and Broadway, I'd walk down Broadway a few blocks, and then up a few blocks, and there were two gyms, and I would watch people. I'd just stand back and look up and watch. And what I saw was an extreme tension and anger, like they're burning off, you know, by running on the treadmill. Yeah, but I didn't see anyone happy, I didn't see anyone relaxed. It was overly intense. You know, when someone gets angry, suddenly, You know, their neck gets tight and their body tightens up and they get intense and their face tightens up. That's what I saw. And I'm wondering, why is it it's 10 o'clock at night and people are not home? People are not enjoying their life and friends and family and their pet. Why aren't they at the opera or a movie? Why are they up there? Because there's a probability, not for everyone, but for some, because I asked them. They were coming from a very intense work, More often than not, down in the Wall Street area, or the business area. And they were very competitive every day, and this is how they burned off their anxiety. They would stay on that until they felt relaxed enough they could go home. So it was like a part of their ritual. I'll go to a job that is unhealthy for me. I'll be extremely stressed. I'll lose my balance in life. I'll come here to burn off my anger, angst, stress, I'll go home and have nothing left at home except to continue working on my laptop or on my computer or watch television, and next morning I'll get up early instead of taking care of myself, I'll go back into that work environment. And that is what we do in America. Now, what I found is, so when you add in those who are happy, you can be happy And healthy, but not maximally healthy. A lot of people do just enough not to hurt themselves, but not enough to help themselves. Now, here's another part of the equation. When you see a disease manifesting as a symptom, that that disease is far along. Let's say if disease starts, disease at 100 is death, right? At zero, it's non-existent my experience has been that by the time you recognize you have a problem you're generally twenty or thirty years into the manifestation of that before there's any symptoms so by the time you see the cancer, it's taken twenty years to develop so we think, oh we got it early. No, you got it very late you're at the end stage of a healing crisis that's the physiopathology so then We deal with the symptoms, just take out the tumor, burn it out, surgical, whatever it is, destroy it with chemotherapy. Or if you've got a heart problem, we'll take care of the symptoms, we'll put a shunt in, uh, or we'll do balloon angioplasty or bypass. Again, these are symptoms. Relieving the symptoms. Now, in some cases, that's necessary, because if you didn't, the person would die. But what does that tell you about the underlying cause? And That's where we fail unless you're Dean Ornish, because Dean, in my opinion, the most brilliant cardiologist in American history, and he's the one who was the pioneer, and I know because I was there filming him when he was doing this original study, where he was able to reverse all forms of heart disease with just a plant-based diet, a healthy plant-based diet, exercise, and stress management. Now, there are other things we could do, but he was a unique and alone person, there's only a small percentage of cardiologists that have ever followed his work, and that he has the best outcome. In fact, for one of my newest films, Curing the Incurable, we filmed him and he had nine patients who were going to have to have a heart transplant, literally taking an old heart out and putting another person's heart in. Not one of them had to have a transplant after they were all in his program. Now that should have made medical headline news. It got nowhere, nothing because the good news that Big Pharma can't control never gets out. In any case, so what did I learn? I learned that when a disease is taking over the body, it might be at 60% when you finally awaken. Now, let's say that you don't have a perfect diet or perfect exercise or perfect supplement or perfect dealing with stress. So let's say your, your diet is okay you try to watch what you eat, but you combine some good foods and bad foods, right? And you're not really keen on drinking juices because it's time to make them and it's a hassle. And you know, forget that. So you'll uh, drink in you know, a bottle orange juice someplace. And stress, not so good at. It. You take an anti-depressant, anti-anxiety drug. You, um, but you're not, you don't have the time nor the patience the, the mindset to go out and do some mindful meditation every day. You might run out and do yoga, but, and you feel good when you're doing yoga, but the moment that yoga's over, you're right back on the phone and screaming to someone about something. So let's say on the scale of 15 for each of those of being good, you're at half. So let's just say on the scale of living a healthy life, you're at about, let's say, twenty-five. Alright? Okay. But disease is at 50 or 55. Now, if you stay where you're at, disease always wins. And that's why we have gotten to the place where we think it is normal and acceptable and expected that no one's going to beat aging so if you get to 76 or 77, then you've met you know the standard and boy you're, you're lucky you got to be 77 the average lifespan or 78 is coming down by the way and you're not healthy getting there for the last 15 to 20 years you can be having all kinds of problems it's rare to find a person over 50 who doesn't have one or more in fact in the the, the current pandemic around the world uh, you never hear people dying of, of heart disease at the end stage like congestive heart failure, or advanced cancer, or advanced emphysema, but the people who are dying are average 80 with two or more of those life-threatening ending conditions. And if you didn't have the virus, the coronavirus, the cause of death would have been that. But because they had the virus, the virus gets all the credit. That's how corrupt the epidemiology is. That's how corrupt this information is. So, and people with strong immune systems, are the ones who are not dying. Even the young people who died, one had cancer, end-stage cancer. So you have to understand that as long as you accept that disease is always going to be ahead of you, then there's this kind of inevitability what can I do? What can I do? And also many of the drugs we use to fight diseases themselves cause the very disease that they're fighting. Radiation and chemotherapy cause cancer. They're carcinogenic. And many people dying, die of the treatment, not just the cancer. But we're not willing to acknowledge that. It's in the peer-reviewed scientific literature. So, what I found was a principle that I call the laws of compensation, which means to the degree you have anything wrong, Genetic, viral, bacterial, trauma, nutritional deficiency, anything that's wrong—that becomes a dominant energy. And almost always, people think about the dominant energy when you're starting to get creepy skin. You—that's all you think about. Every time you look in the mirror, you see something that wasn't there ten years ago, and you think, oh "My God, where'd that come? In the middle of the night, the damn thing came up and gray hair." There it goes. You know. So we look at the things that happened to us, not realizing that was all over a period of years. It didn't just happen. It is the cause and effect. So, the nature doesn't like a half-truth. So if you have evil, you have to have good. If you have love, you have hate. If you have joy, you have sadness. We live a life on a spectrum of duality. So if a disease can dominate and dominate the death process, why can't ultimate health dominate the health process? It's a basic, and nobody can, nobody can challenge that with science. Because we have the science, hundreds of thousands of peer-reviewed literature, and I have them, I've published in peri I've done over 44 clinical studies. I've been invited to groups of scientists around the world to share this insight. So the idea is this, and you've got to listen carefully to this. To the degree that you have an imbalance, first you have to understand what am I doing that's contributing to the imbalance? Well, let's say if you're a diet, then you've got to go on a really quality diet, a high-quality plant-based diet with all the mixture of nuts and seeds and grains and beans and leafy vegetables and tubers and garlic and onions, all the superstars like pomegranate and wild blueberries and tart cherries, Montmorency cherries, and the walnuts and almonds, pistachios and cashews, the olive oil and the grapeseed oil, and cooking with the high heat resistant oils like coconut and uh, macadamia, and mustard seed. You've got to have the juices, which are vitalist juices, rich in enzymes and phytonutrients, and uh, the onions and apples with the quercetin, the bioflavonoids that give us better skin, better collagen strength, the branched chain amino acids, which help build a good, strong muscle. So once you're doing a good diet, suddenly you go from maybe five or six up to fifteen and then you're taking the right supplements. Then you're up to around 20 or more and you're exercising, maybe for the first time in years. And now you have a low body fat, especially the belly. The belly's a killer. So now you don't have that belly, you have tight abs, you can feel the abs. And you're laying in bed thinking, man, that feels good. (laughs) I can feel my belly, right? Instead of this, ooh, I'm pregnant, ooh. (laughs) So so now our our muscles are starting to be strong and we have more endurance and strength and stamina. Now up to this point you're at 45 to 50, but the disease, and you're getting better, you're slowing the disease process. It's not all or nothing. You're slowing down that disease process because you're not feeding it. You've stopped all the pro-inflammatory foods, the hot dogs, the hamburgers, the meat. uh, When you cook meat, you actually increase this carcinogenicity, this cancer-causing potential, because you've got heterocyclic amines. These are known toxicants. You have acrylamide, so a hamburger. Acrylamide's in the bun, the meat, and the heterocyclic amines, and that's terrible for you. Terrible. It's all pro-inflammatory. Your coffee, pro-inflammatory. Alcohol in any amount, pro-inflammatory. The liver's being hit, the kidneys hit, the brain hit, the heart hit with every drink you have. There's no such thing as good alcohol. Now the fact that people like alcohol doesn't mean it's good for you. Mind you, it's a developed taste. When people go into bars, in every movie you've ever seen, every movie, have you ever seen someone walk into a bar and say, give me wheatgrass juice? (laughs) No, forget the wheatgrass juice. The guy looks up, we don't have any wheatgrass juice out here in Nebraska right now. Okay, Give me, I'll bet you has some fermented sauerkraut juice. <laughs> no, we're, we're short on that too. Fresh made apple juice? Orange juice? Grapefruit juice? Lemon juice? Grape juice? Tomato juice? No. What do you got? Bourbon? Rye? Gin? Vodka? Well, not in the old west, they didn't have vodka. Um, because nobody would like bucket. It had no real taste. But the other ones have a taste. It's called pain. <laughs> this tastes like pain, god, and you watch and they'll go <sharp> they make a face. They'll show you that oh, I needed that. <laughs> you needed what? You needed someone come up and punch in the mouth? That would be easier. You want a drink? Boom. The same result. We just loosened your teeth and now you got a little blood on your gum and you got a fat lip. Better that than have a million heart cells, million liver cells, million kidney cells, million brain cells kill with each drink. And that's minimum. I know, um, that's not so bad after all, I got, you know, what, 400 billion brain cells? What, so what's a million cells? Well, but let's face it, no one's going to have one drink in their lifetime, or one hot dog, or one hamburger, or one french fry or one anything, you're going to have thousands. No one gets cancer from one cigarette. But add up all the cigarettes. In my family, the person, my dad smoked four packs a day, my mom smoked three packs a day, my older brother smoked four packs a day, my younger brother smoked two packs a day, and I didn't smoke. But I got a lot of secondhand smoke. Those damn fools, they were hurting me without realizing it. Now imagine, they thought it was normal to smoke, and everything stunk, especially their breasts. They drink coffee and smoke. And, and then my aunt would always, I had this wonderful aunt, she would Gary Mike when she grabbed my cheek, and as she got close to me a kiss on the cheek, I could smell the combination of cigarettes, and, and, and I, I thought, oh God. And then I'd run in and wash my cheek. <laughs> and then when they were talking, when they were smoking, it would affect the mucus in their mouth, as does alcohol. And then you'd start to, I'd be looking, and you'd see the boing, 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 <laughs> little saliva there at the corner of the mouth going, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at that going, oh God, oh God, that's grossing me out. <laughs> Have you ever seen people saying, like, Ooh, what? <laughs> You just want to say, hold a second, (laughs) Let me wipe that off. Open your mouth. Let's clean all that shit out. (laughs) Their tongue is white and just gross. (laughs) So yeah, I was the odd one in my family. (laughs) So now imagine that you're no longer creating inflammation because the bedrock of almost the vast majority, I won't say all, but the vast majority of illnesses, certainly cancer and diabetes and heart disease and dementia, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and ALS and fibromyalgia and gastrointestinal problems and cystitis is inflammation. And inflammation comes from any of the things that we shouldn't drink or eat. So once you stop everything that's pro-inflammatory and you start eating things that are pro-healing and slightly more alkaline, then your whole body chemistry begins over a period of time to create what we call homeostasis. And with that, you create nutritional balance. Nutritional balance is taking in everything that's really good for you in order to have a healthy body. The balance between what you bring in and what you end up with, that's balance. So if you want to be balanced and do the right thing, then where's the room for disease to manifest? it's not there, you're not feeding it, you're not creating it, even unintentionally. So, when I looked at people in other countries, I didn't see intentional gluttony. I didn't see anyone ever in my travels anywhere in the world saying, see this plate of food here? I'm going to expand it and expand it and expand it and expand it. I'm going to eat five times more than what my body can hold. I never saw that. Never. Because cultures would teach, the wise men and women, the, the, the natural healers would say, don't eat more than what your body can handle, right? Where, and we once had that in America, what happened that we had all you can eat, and then people, you can't even get a normal dish, let's just say you wanted a hamburger, it used to be it was a hamburger, right? That was bad, on a bun, that was bad, with some pickles or something meaningless. piece of iceberg lettuce, probably sprayed with all the DT in the world on that one piece. Look at that. And now it's nobody sells you a hamburger. You have to have two hamburgers, and then you've got to have cheese, and then I saw a commercial where they gave you French fries, and then they gave you hash browns, they gave you bacon, and then they gave you sausage, and they gave you something like this. And you're supposed to eat that and not die. <laughs> How's that happen, right? So then, when you finish the meal, and you're bloated, and you have taken in about five thousand milligrams of sodium, when you need about eight hundred to thousand milligrams, and now your blood pressure is up and your blood sugar is up because you either got refined carbohydrate, or and, and I even saw what I saw, one commercial where they give you. They give you a big stack of pancakes. Pure carbohydrate. Pure sugar. And then they give you some false kind of maple crap you put on it. It's not maple syrup. And then they gave you sausages and then scrambled eggs and then hash browns. Just looking at that damn commercial I began to have a heart attack. <laughs> I mean, and this is normal now. And it's one size fits everyone. So a little kid gets the same thing, or they show you all this all this junky ice cream, right, with everything on it. But nobody can sell you anything normal now, like there was at one time. You have to have pizza that has a crust, and the crust is filled with. Cheese. So much cheese that they actually show you. Look at the stringy cheese. We have stringy cheese. That stringy cheese is going to be stringy snot the next day coming out of your nose. As you're talking, it's going boing, boing. I had pizza last night. I would never have guessed. <laughs> you don't mind if I just stuffed that back up your nose. You, we, were, we actually should. At every place that sells pizza, sell two nose plugs. Stick it in. It'll back up and come out your ears. What's that out? Come out your piece of the crust. I guess. And you don't want to know how that pizza, you don't want to know how milk is made. I've milked cows, and I'll tell you, if they ever get mastitis, which is an infection of the udder, and they almost always do, you're not drinking milk from one cow. You're drinking milk from like a thousand cows. It's pulled into a general position, and then they, they pasteurize it, and then they homogenize it, well, what about all those cows that had infections? In the infective material that comes out in the milk is pus. That means every glass of milk you eat, every piece of cheese you're eating, you could be drinking pus. Now, just imagine that. You would never want pus, right? You pimple, plus your pimple, you get pus, right? Well, imagine we're eating pimple pus. So imagine in the commercial, they say, we give you extra pimple pus in this pizza crust. <laughs> <laughs> I never get asked to do a commercial. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> right? We, we never show you the real truth about anything, right? If we did, you wouldn't buy most of the food. But we become gluttons, and we're morbidly obese, and we seem to have no sense of personal discipline to say, do I really need this? And this is where disease manifests, including the conditions that become the pathology of aging. So if you turn off inflammation and you turn on the healing foods, and the scientific literature shows you what can help us heal, what can help our brain, what can help our heart. Nitric oxide one of the best things in the world to increase the flow of blood to the brain, out of the heart, healing the epithelium, the lining of the, the arteries, and that's with pomegranate and beet. And the number one, rhubarb. Yeah, when was the last time you had rhubarb? What's rhubarb? How do you spell rhubarb? Where do you buy it? I've never seen a rhubarb sandwich. I have seen Kentucky Fried Chicken between two sugar glazed donuts. <laughs> That's the thing to slow down your aging process. It'll stop your heart. (laughs) Yeah. Whoa. So, what have we learned? We've learned that the aging process has a lot to do with the choices we make. And if they're anti-inflammatory, we don't have then 10,000 gene alterations per gene per day. Instead, we might have 5,000. And therefore, we're increasing the length span of all of our vital organs and tissue. Then, if we take the right nutrients, we can actually increase the mitochondria and we can decrease senescence or cell dying. Exercising, allowing the telomeres to lengthen, and the end, stage, the end caps of the chromosomes are telomeres. And then we don't want them unraveling and shortening because it speeds up the death of the cell. But exercise helps to lengthen that. Moderate fasting. So we're not always eating. Helps us eating an earlier dinner and not having anything till breakfast. That's intermittent fasting. Fasting on the weekends with juices and smoothies to get our protein, but not solid food. That extends our lifespan. So you see by watching what we eat and then taking in the foods that are maximally potent and with a minimal caloric intake and watching our calories so we restrict our calories to what our body needs. So we restrict our calories. Check. Anti-aging. We take in more fresh made juices from organic fruits and vegetables. Check. We take in the superstars that help our heart and circulation like rhubarb and spinach and oranges and by the way vitamin C helps body create more nitric oxide and so we're increasing the health of our circulation. Check. And we're not taking anything pro-inflammatory. Check. Big time. So we're not only now no longer supporting the pathogenesis of aging, we're de-aging and slowing down the whole process. Now we're all aging, but we're not aging at the same speed. And that makes an enormous difference. So, then we start looking at mindful meditation, looking at are we living in the right place? Right now, I'm getting flooded with calls. Flooded! Oh, Gary, can I come down? sorry there's no room I'm doing a clinical study. Why do you want to come down? What do I want to come down? Well because I'm in my small apartment, I can't go outside, I'm afraid to go anywhere, and my partner, this is a true story, this just happened today, My, my partner came in and now he's sick. Why is he sick? Well because he didn't pay attention to wash all the material. If you buy a can of beans, wash the can. Anything that has a box, a can, it's, it's infected, could be, because people are handling it and breathing on it. Wash it. And I told him, wash everything. Wash everything. You know, and your hands, and wear gloves when you go out, and a mask. And he didn't do it. And as a result of not being attentive, and so now 14 days, first being sick, but the trouble is this other guy just got over 14 days of sickness. He was going back to work tomorrow. Now he's got to stay another 14 days. Mind you, this virus doesn't impart immunity so you can never get it again. People are being reinfected, especially in families. Especially when one person in the family goes out and brings the virus back. In any case, <clears throat> and I gave him a whole protocol what to do, you know, and I told him things he could take. But now for the first time he's paying attention to juices. We should all be drinking fresh juice. Orange juice is great for us. Grapefruit juice, orange grapefruit together is great. Lime, lemon, orange and grapefruit together, phenomenal. Green apple and lemon, terrific. But we're as Americans, we're not drinking the right things, we're not eating the right things, we're not handling stress right. Our stress is compounded when we are passive. And watching as a spectator, reality shows that are brutal and and vile, and show the worst of human nature, and that creates stress in us. When you're watching something stressful, you become stressed. And that's why when we're watching something violent, our blood pressure goes up, why can't we watch fun things? If you're at home now, watch the Marx Brothers, watch Cary Grano films, watch WC films, watch something that allows you to laugh and keep light and satisfied. You can also go up on YouTube and find how to do yoga at home, how to exercise at home, how how to de-stress at home motivational tapes, but those are not you know the watching every episode of Breaking Bad or whatever it is, which can cause stress. So de-stress, detoxify, cleanse the body. Juices cleanse, chlorophyll cleanse, greens cleanse, celery, lemon, cucumber, grape cleanse. Have that twice a day. Start your day with some lemon water. That's terrific. For helping rebalance the acid alkaline balance in the body. Now, if we've done everything I just said, we're up at 50 to 55. We're almost where that is. Now, the big part, now the big factor that is not mentioned, discussed at all in America in our healing process, and that is what is the meaning and purpose of your life? What is the power of friendship, healthy relationships? having an understanding of being able to accept life and all of its challenge and realize that we cannot live in a bubble where every single person is going to be faced with crisis and loss. It's going to happen many times but being around people who understand that and helping guide us through that and support us, as they do in Jamaica, in the mountains of other countries, in in other villages, They are all there to support you in your hour of need. And they guide you. Kids from early on are sitting with elders teaching them the meaning of life. And we we put put a person, if we're rich, with a nanny and people to change their diapers, and we're off as a careerist. The kid needed not the cell phones, not the toys, not all the, the the gifts. They needed our undivided attention. In other countries, you get the undivided attention. You're never abandoned, you're never alone, you're never passed off to someone. Now, so therefore, once you focus upon the deeper, more meaningful, more essential elements of life, now you're happy. Because whatever you have, you can accept it. You're not looking to covet someone else's anything. You're not trying to get even. You're not wasting your life, whatever left you have, fighting. Most people just fight battles without realizing for every energy they put into a battle they lose. And we know that this is the truth. So now because you shifted your belief system to where you're now you're letting go of all these controlling factors, your epigenetic factors, guilt, shame, insecurity and fear, the four doors that block us, from going out into life to be who we authentically are, now you've liberated yourself. And wow, that liberation takes you from 50 and quantitatively raises you to like 80. And guess what? When your quality of life and all you're doing right, when it's higher than the disease, you can collapse the disease process. That's what I learned and that you have never seen that in any article published in any scientific journal. You've seen parts of it. You've seen that if you de-stress, you can live a longer life. If you're highly stressed, and this is the next part, Uh, Richard Gale, a scholar and myself, spent one year this past year adding up what the actual scientific literature guesstimates, because it can never be exact, how many years you add to your life or how many years you take away from your life based upon the choices you make. For example, let's say we're starting with a mean of 78 years as an average lifespan. It's more or less depending upon the country. But for America, let's just say it's 78. Now let's say we can add years on if we have a healthy plant-based diet. Organic, fresh, with juices figure around anywhere from seven to nine years. And if we exercise daily, uh, for about an hour, then we can add, let's say, another 10 years on. And if we don't smoke and don't drink, we can uh, add up to another 7 years. And if we take the right supplements that our body needs in the right amounts, we can add about another 7 years. And if 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 we, let's say, if we keep our body healthy, and clean. All this adds up. You factor in the genetic factor of how long your parents lived and their parents and their parents. You should go back about seven generations. And then you get an idea of, I can put all these years onto my lifespan, quality years without disease? Yes, you can. So you add them up. Now you've got to add the things that take years off your life. If you work night shift, for more than ten years, you can take up to ten years off. If you're allowing electromagnetic pulses, let's say you work around Wi Fi, or your own Wi Fi all the time, like students and people are, and computers and cell phones, you could take up to 10 years off. If you're smoking, depending upon how mint and for how long, you can take anywhere from, let's say, 4 to 24 years off your lifespan. If you're drinking, you can take about 10 years off your lifespan, depending upon how much alcohol, what percentage of alcohol, and how much you drank, because you're destroying the kidney, the liver. you're you're destroying the support system like the liver that has to metabolize everything. If you're stressed and you're dealing with stress inappropriately, you can take a lot of years off. You know, like 10 or more. Again, these are all variable. You can go up or down depending upon what you specifically have done. There's no exact amount. I'm giving you general, general figures. So when you add up all the things that take years off your life, they far exceed what adds years on your life. So therefore that's why we come to an average age of 78. You take your longest-lived people and your shortest-lived people and that's where it is. And heart disease is the biggest factor. Not opiates. We thought it was opiate deaths, 50-60,000 dying each year of opiates. No, it was heart disease in younger people. Because younger people didn't have the advantage, like I grew up, where the food wasn't perfect, but we didn't get overfed. Nobody was, I was lean and wiry, and everyone else in my family was as well. We only, I only remember having three people I knew in my town who were overweight, right? And I'm sure many of you had the same, right? The people were leaner, and also we were outside a lot. We ran a lot, we biked a lot, we played a lot, we had no computers. Also, we did chores. We gardened. You know, you're always working, doing something. And also, we had time, we had to go to bed. I cannot tell you how many times <laughs> moms the time to go to bed. I'm not sleeping. So I go upstairs, and I look out the window, and I see someone. And I go downstairs, he's not in bed. Tom, Tommy's not in bed. I don't want to be in bed. You go to bed. So I go upstairs, and I come out in the roof. and say, Tom, Tom come up. So all my buddies every night would climb up. I thought I was getting away with it. My mom was watching all of them climb up. She said, <laughs> so we would play in my room, and, uh, and she would say, Gary Michael, is your lights off? I said, almost. And they'd run out the window at that point. <laughs> but we had a chance to be children, not little adults, trying to appease the egos, which are insatiable and unrequited by our helicopter parents, because we didn't know when I knew had helicopter parents. And we had social norms. Manners, <coughs> morals, uh, honesty, and we were held accountable. All of these things allowed us not to be stressed all the time. People weren't stressed because there were jobs for everyone. And you were told if you went to college there'd be three jobs for every, everyone who graduated. And that was important. But knowing that we would sit down in my house, we'd sit down at six o'clock and we'd have dinner. And dinner didn't start till everyone sat down. And then anything we needed to talk about, we did. You know, and it was never a case, I don't want to eat this. You'll sit here until it's done. Did anyone else did your mother ever tell you that? You're gonna sit there till that's eaten because someone's starving in China. And I would say, well send it to China. I'll go to the post office tomorrow. Starving person, eat this liver shit. <laughs> and I would eat a lot of vegetables, you know, whatever was served. I love the vegetables, right? And potatoes. But it was years before, and we would go in and watch like uh, uh, Sid Caesar, and we'd go together. We'd, and we'd listen to radio together, and we'd watch television together. But we were family, and, and that was wonderful. And on the weekends, we go to extended families, our aunts and uncles. And, and that, I wish we had today for the average person. And there was a mother and father in almost every family. So we had the input of both, which was important. And we had a responsibility to live by the rules, and there was a consequence that we didn't. And there still is a consequence all over the world. Go into a Japanese home and see how they they work with their children. Then you understand why hygiene is so important and why their discipline is so important. Chinese, South Korean, Indian children who come to the United States, come to our universities, they're not smarter than American children. There's no genetic factor that allows them to be outstanding in science. How they were raised, how they were taught, the fact that they were there not to play games you know, and abuse the teachers, they were there to learn. They had respect. They bowed down to the teacher you know, as a greeting. There is honoring. Now think of all that as a part of the aging process. Now you could say, well what does that have to do with how you're taught? Well, if you don't want to be taught, then how are you supposed to learn about health? And how are you supposed to learn about keeping yourself fit? And how are you supposed to know about which foods will cause disease and which one will prevent them? See? In other cultures, they don't have the same type of diseases as we have. Now, there's no society that's perfect. But when you see who's living the longest life, they're doing things we're not doing. And they're doing it right. And they have for centuries, for millennia. So, for all of you who are at home doing this and we've sent you all your videos so you can exercise, meditate, de-stress, you have everything you're supposed to be doing and I'll be sending you these these videos on a regular basis. Now you get the big, larger picture.